Hey everyone, welcome to Indie Film Grit, a podcast about indie films and indie filmmakers. I am your host, Timothy Patrick, but you, you can call me Tim. In this episode, I talk with Mark Schwab. Mark's been making indie films for many years. He's the producer, writer, and director of the new feature film, Shadows in the Mind. We talk about how he made the film and how it differs from all of the films he made before. Let's get into it. And here we are with Mark Schwab. Mark, thanks for being on the podcast, man. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on Indie Film Grit. Great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you about your film, um, Shadows in mm-hmm. the Mind. It's, uh, it's, it's a different kind of film and uh, very unique in that aspect. But before we get too deep into that, can you give us a little background about yourself, how you got started into filmmaking? Sure. I started, uh, well, I've, I've always gone to the movies ever since I was a little kid. My parents both enjoy films. Uh, so we went to the movies quite a bit growing up and we didn't just go to cartoons. You know, we went and saw well, the earliest movie I remember seeing was Rocky mm. one in the theater and we loved it. Uh, I, I wanted to be a boxer after that for a while. Uh, but then uh, in 19, I was in high school and I had a group of friends in high school that uh, were also movie fans and adventurous movie fans. We'd go and see art house films in the 80s, not just the John Hughes films, although we liked those too, but we went and saw things like, you know, My Life as a Dog, you know, we went mm-hmm. and saw that. And, uh, and one day we just decided to make a movie with a camcorder. A friend had a camcorder, which, you know, not everybody had those necessarily back then in 1987. And we had the best time making a movie. Uh, we shot all day in 100 degree heat, and we just had the best time. And uh, we thought it was a, you know, just a horror film, and we thought it was a masterpiece. Uh, and we just got hooked, so we kept making movies together uh, on our camcorder. We'd shoot them in camera, you know, just no edits, just in sequence, which is actually a pretty good way to learn to make a film, uh, surprisingly. And we, uh, we just kept doing that. In fact, one of those friends of mine is still my business partner today. He's the, one of the, you know, executive producers on shadows in mind. Uh, and we've been working together ever since. And then I went to, uh, ended up going to film school. Uh, I went to Vancouver film school in 1997, which was fantastic. I love Vancouver. Uh, Absolutely fantastic. Oh, I did too. Uh, it was a great place to learn. Uh, it was just superb. I, I couldn't praise it highly enough. I can't speak for it today. I don't know. It's it's a very different place today. It's super uber modern. Mm. But in 1997, it was just the perfect place for me to learn the craft and the professionalism of filmmaking. And it's it has served me extremely well to this day. Uh, so then it went from uh, from there... Uh, I started making independent films, you know, back on the Canon XL1 when that was when that was a hot mm-hmm. thing. I remember uh, those days. And I made a, yeah, and I made a yeah with a Pro Mist filter. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I haven't uh, heard yeah, that in yeah. forever. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, we made a film called um, Pins and Needles, a feature film 
that played in, played in some festivals, uh, which was pretty good for a, you know, a $2,000 feature film shot on tape. Uh, we did pretty well with that. And that's where we started. That was where Diamond in the Rough Films first kind of got formed hmm. was there. Uh, and that's when we started to realize that, yeah, we could really, we've got the ability to do this. Uh, and so we kind of, at that time in the early two thousands, we really mastered the, the $3,000 feature film. Uh, and well, it's nice to a point. I mean, we were able to get it into some film festivals and get some good reviews and that's all fine, but you really aren't going to make something sellable at that level. You really mm-hmm. aren't. Uh, it's, it's, it's nice to do and it's a good experience and all that. But what shadows in mind was a, a conscious attempt by us to say, you know, it's time to take this to the next level. We're either going to be hobbyists or we're going to be professionals and really make something that sells. And so that's where shadows in mind came about was that. And, uh, we're, we're pretty pleased with the result. Yeah. I mean, I, I was lucky enough to, to watch the film. You, you sent me a screener and, uh, professional is definitely a word that comes to mind. I mean, the look of it is slick and, uh, not too slick. It actually serves the, the story. Um, <clears throat> but the lighting, the, uh, the camera work, the acting, um, it definitely seems, uh, bankable to me. Well, we think so. And, and like I said, it was crafted that way. I mean, let, let's not kid ourselves. Shadows in Mind is still, uh, you know, it's it's not a multi-million dollar film as far as what how it was made. It was shot still, you know, very inexpensively, relatively, and shot very quickly. But uh, at the same time, I think it shows... Uh, I think it shows what we were, you know, all of our experience led up to that, to being able to pull a movie like that off in the time that we did with the budget that we had. Uh, we're we're pretty proud of it, and it, we do think it's marketable. Yeah, we definitely think it's sellable. And I mean, we just literally finished it last month, and it's ready to get out there and see what it does. Well, I, you know, I'm I'm uh, optimistic, uh, just like you are about it, because. Uh, I haven't really seen a movie like this. Um, it 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 kind of pulled on some strings I didn't know I had in me. Um, but uh, without without giving too much away, uh, can you give us a little idea of what the film's about? Certainly, yeah. Shadows in Mind is about a a young. It's an it's an LGBT thriller, uh, which you don't see too much of out there, and it's an LGBT thriller without the politics, so to speak. Uh, it doesn't really have a political agenda, the film. It's meant to just be absorbing. Uh, and it is a, it's a film where a young man has called a suicide hotline uh, threatening to kill three other people before he kills himself. And he wants his story on the record. Uh, and he wants someone to listen to him. And to get the story correct, so to speak, he doesn't want a bunch of mystery around what happened or why it's happening. And so our our newly installed uh, crisis counselor has to try and keep him on the line and try and talk him out of it before tragedy strikes. So it's a race against time thriller a little bit. We flash back to the events which led up to uh, this crisis and it tackles a lot of modern things about social media it's kind of the dark side the, the it's a cautionary tale about the dark side of social media yeah 
and and ultimately the dark side of humanity. Certainly, <laughs> uh, what what it, it does it does kind of I guess you could say definitely it talks about uh, when greed overrides morality, mm-hmm. uh, and it is making yeah it it does make a comment on how much is enough. Mm. Uh, you know, is, is there, you know, it's the Gordon Gecko thing, you know, how many yachts can you sail behind Gordon? And, uh, some of our characters are in the, it's never enough. Right. That's, you know, that's crazy. You said that you just took that right out of my own head. Uh, because I was just thinking about wall street and when mm-hmm. I, when I finished your film, uh, I, that's what I was thinking. Wall street, there were no, you know, straight lines from one movie to the other, but I got that feeling. It's, it, and, and that's a powerful feeling. Yeah. I mean, I, and it, it does reflect kind of my, some of my views today in that it's, I do think the pursuit of, you know, money or power, because the shadows in mind is also about the abuse of power mm-hmm. uh, and how it, you know, because everybody in that film has power over someone else and abuses that uh, as well and takes advantage of that. And in, with today, we see a lot of people ends justify the means, no matter what it is and whether the ends are more money, more power, whatever it may be, everything else is secondary, Mm -hmm. uh, no matter, no matter who it hurts. Uh, and so, yeah, I made this film as a, as a Gen Xer, (laughs) who has, you know, lived in the analog world and now, you know, is in the digital world, I do see the potential for a lot of potential harm. It's not meant to, you know, be this blanket judgment on all of social media or apps. It's not about that. It's that it needs to be looked at very carefully because it could definitely be abused uh, on the inexperienced. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've seen. You know, it's, it, it reflects things that I've seen. And that was uh, kind of what jump-started the idea to write the script was, you know, one, something that could be made relatively inexpensively and quickly but still work visually. And two, that was of its time, that was topical, that we hadn't seen before. So I was really glad to hear you say you haven't seen a film quite like this because that was definitely part of it, uh, mm-hmm. was to make something that we hadn't seen before. Yeah, and... And just like you say, uh, you don't shove any agendas down the audience's throat when it comes to LGBT or anything. You also don't do that with uh, social media. It just kind of unfolds. And, and at least for me, uh, you know, it it kind of just reveals itself. It's not like you're saying, uh, you know, whatever, Tinder is bad, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. It's super subtle. And it's just one element of the story. Absolutely. And it plays a key part. But yeah, I'm not making a specific judgment against it. I'm just saying, hey, you know, look out, this could happen. And uh, you got to be you got to be alert to it. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned you're a a Gen Xer. um, And it's cool that Gen Xers uh, wear that banner proud. But uh, (laughs) I I did notice one of the main characters uh, was called out as being a Gen Xer. Was did you kind of live through that character? I mean, obviously, you probably lived through all the characters, but yeah, I mean, there, there, of course, I think because it all 
the, you know, I wrote the screenplay, of course the characters have to reflect certain parts of me or people that I've met or known or maybe darker aspects of myself that are allowed to come out in a story because, you know, I, I know right from wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, Simon, the character of the, who's the brand new, newly minted uh, crisis counselor who takes this call he uh, he is a Gen Xer, yes. Corey Jackson, uh, who I love in the film, he's just he's wonderful in it, uh, and how he does embody, I think that yeah, that Gen Xer where he's trying to understand, trying to grasp it. He understands it, but he didn't grow up with it, mm-hmm. and so it's it's different when you're experiencing it through a kind of a more cerebral outsider level than if you were born and raised with it. Right. It's a very different thing. And like, there's a, there's a key line that I put in there, which, uh, which I actually heard from one of, I used to teach high school. I taught high school video production at one time. Oh, cool. And one of my students told me, and I used the line in the film where our young, you know, in crisis protagonist says, I wish I'd grown up in the eighties instead of today. It was, so, you know, those John Hughes movies, it was, it looked like it was fun to be a teenager back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was so much simpler. And I do agree. I think it was simpler because I'm exactly the age of, you know, the breakfast club characters. I mean, that, that was exactly my age and our minds were so much more uncluttered, I think. And, and I do think it's much more challenging to negotiate, uh, not just, I mean, you know, being a teenager or young adulthood, but then you throw being, you know, of the LGBT community and that's even you know, more intense, Oh yeah, uh, much more intense. And so that's why that lines in there when he says, you know, I wish I'd grown up during that, during that, during the eighties, mm-hmm. uh, like this character. And then of course, as he responds, we had plenty of problems in the eighties too. You know, uh, there were things going on there that, uh, have improved since then, but it was a more simple time. And yeah. that is moving. Yeah. That's, that's a very, interesting observation i i just wondered not to get too philosophical mm-hmm. but uh being a teenager back then do you think it was easier to be happy it i i, I like the term it was simpler mm-hmm. in that uh, i mean we were much more ignorant back then i mean we didn't know half of what was going on in the world or in our government uh, we could focus on like, especially me, I can, I can speak for me. Uh, I mean, I did kind of grow up in that John Hughes type of environment. Mm -hmm. Uh, and all I had to think about was, you know, schoolwork. And, uh, I also played on the golf team. So I did that, you know, I had to think about keeping my golf game up and, and then going to the movies and hanging out with my friends and, uh, making our movies on the weekends just for fun. Uh, we didn't, we didn't have all this stuff that they're thinking about and being bombarded constantly with distractions. We had time to actually communicate and listen to each other, mm-hmm. uh, instead of feeling so separate. Uh, and that's why a lot of those friends I'm still friends with today. That's great. Uh, yeah, built strong relationships. Yeah. 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 I mean, back then you, you, you actually relied on a guy giving you a thumbs up rather than uh, clicking on a thumbs up. 
Of course. Well, in our family watched, uh, we watched it even when it was on PBS, we watched Siskel and Ebert as a family. Uh, and I love that show. Oh, yeah. I loved, I, I, we watched it all the time. Uh, uh, it was, it was, yeah, it, it is, it does seem kind of almost like halcyon days back then. Uh, there wasn't, there wasn't all the angst that goes on today. Certainly no cyberbullying. I mean, but friends of mine, we, we laugh like, my God, thank God there wasn't a cell phone camera around, with, you know, capturing the stuff that we got into. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, was it tougher to, to, to be, you know, LGBT back then? Sure. I mean, I never saw, you know, gay people on television or in movies unless they were dying of AIDS. I mean, that was the only time I saw them. Right. So it was a more lonely, you know, in a vacuum existence, you could say as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was much more homophobic back then. Yeah. So in certain ways are better now. I'm glad that it's it's easier for, you know, LGBT youth to find each other and to have support. That's very, very good. Uh, it was a much, you know, it was... It was much more of a mystery back then what that meant to live as a a healthy gay person. Mm -hmm. Now, (laughs) you've been making films for for a while now. Have you always uh, integrated, um, you know, uh, gay or or queer characters in your uh, film? Uh, No, not at all, actually. That's a, yeah, that's a fairly recent thing. Mm. Uh, Very recent for me. Uh, the main reason, actually, it's interesting you ask that, because the main reason that I did this film in this genre was simply out of research and out of advice. This is what distributors are purchasing right now. Oh. They're purchasing LGBT films that are independent uh, and also thrillers. And so I combined those two genres to give it the best shot of making a sale. Right. And so far, that seems to be have been a good move. Uh, but I, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't specifically do LGBT content at all. Uh, in fact, my last feature film was a movie called SERP, S-E-R-P, which was a kind of a techno thriller, uh, didn't have any, any gay characters in it. So yeah, no, I don't, I don't, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't specifically push those. I would say. That's very interesting. So was there uh, an extra amount of pride that came with making this film? Pun intended. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, because it's it's not a celebration of gay identity necessarily. Right. What what I'm very proud of, the thing that I'm extremely proud of, is that we actually pulled this off. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I had a blank page on June 1st of 2017. Uh, there was nothing wow. on June 1st of 2017. So to have been able to, from absolutely zero, to have completed the film within you know five months uh that's what i'm proud of Mm -hmm. and to have completed at the level that we did right uh, and to have attracted the people we were able to attract to it from the crew uh the crew was hugely important that was one of the differences we were going to do here was we wanted to we said you know we're going to get because we've always shot the stuff ourselves and as a cinematographer i know enough to be dangerous (laughs) but Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, I know, I know an f-stop and a lens, but it's different from someone who's been doing it every day and who sees the world in images all the time. And that was Dante Yor, who was our cinematographer. Dante was able to get the rest of. He brought along a crew with him that was just superb, uh, and we knew we and we they came from Hollywood. We hired a Hollywood crew. We brought them up to the Bay Area housed them, fed them, 
and that was the one of the best moves we could have made because uh, there is a big difference when you get someone from Hollywood that knows how to shoot for the screen. Uh, and we learned a lot. We, I certainly learned a lot working with Dante, and it was just uh, just wonderful, just excellent. Yeah, definitely paid off. And did you import your actors as well? Because they were fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, well, some of them. We did do a casting call. We had to cast it fairly quickly. Uh, we about, let's see, about um, yeah, about half of them came from L.A. The other half were from the San Francisco Bay Area. Hmm. Uh, but we would have brought them all up from L.A. if that's just who came in front of our eyes. But we, we looked at about 400 people total, uh, mm. and we're, I, I was very, very pleased. It wasn't the easiest movie to cast in certain ways because we were very clear that this would require you know, gay sex scenes, it would require intimacy, things like that. Not pornographic, but, I mean, they had to be comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. And there were there were two actors that, I was very interested in who eventually did balk at the script. They, uh, they just, and they were very honest. They said, I don't think I can do some of those scenes. Yeah. Uh, we said, okay, you know, that's all right. No, no hard feelings, but it worked out perfectly because the, the people that we did get, I couldn't be happier. They were excellent and uh, so hardworking under difficult conditions. Uh, not a lot of takes. Uh, and they really came through. They really did. Yeah. I mean, that, that is sort of a testament of the change that's happened because, you know, if you tried to tell this story in the 80s, all people would focus on is the gay aspect. But when I watch it, it's just happening to people. Mm -hmm. and, and that's fantastic. Yeah. And that's conscious, too. You know, I, I wanted it to I didn't want it to be a gay film necessarily. Sure. Uh, it, 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 is it based on certain things that I've you know, on people that I've met, like, yes. Uh, but it's not, yeah, I wouldn't call it a gay film. I don't think it, uh, it's just, it's not made for a gay audience necessarily. It's made just as an absorbing tale, hopefully that people get wrapped up in and want to see it to the end. And we're really curious because like I said, very few people have seen the film. I mean, you're one of maybe, you know, 15 people that have seen it so far. I mean, we really did just finish it. Mm. And so we're, we're very curious to see what the reaction will be. Um, uh, we've entered it into a couple film festivals now. We're waiting to hear back from them and, uh, and we'll see. Uh, there is, you know, there has been a little bit of interest as far as uh, sales agents and stuff, but we still don't know really what an audience will think of this. Right. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged. I'm really encouraged to hear you say that it uh, it's different than what you've seen and that it, it did manage to hold your attention. Uh, oh, definitely. Despite the subject. Well, yeah, I think it was the subject matter that held my attention. Um, <laughs> and you, you know what else I was thinking? Uh, how intelligent you guys are um, for putting in that extended butt shot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they they do that with uh, they do that with Chris Pratt all the time. <laughs> if if you can get a butt in there, you get it in there. So. <laughs> Well, it, I can assure you it was not done just for exploitive purposes. There, you know, there, there are, I, I can, I can easily justify it. And oh, yeah. luckily the actors, uh, the actors were, were very game. They, 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 they didn't refuse anything. Uh, they, they knew what, what the project was and that it's not about being exploitive. Uh, I mean, it's not a, you know, it's not, the film isn't 
we wanted to make, I wanted to convince them this isn't just lurid trash right. you know, at all. It's, it's a thriller. It's just an absorbing thriller is that was our, that was our goal. Yeah. And it deals with some serious issues. Obviously it starts off at the, uh, you know, the suicide hotline, the crisis hotline. Um, but as the film goes on, it gets, it hints at even darker, uh, deeper secrets within society itself, you oh, know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, that can really captivate an audience. It did for me. I mean, when I start getting paranoid, you know, uh, <laughs> because of a film I'm watching, it's, 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 it's hitting the right notes, you know? Good. That, yeah, that's exactly, that, that's, that's great to hear because that, yeah, we, it, it, the movie does get darker as it goes along. Uh, and the last, the last 20 minutes, it, it really goes down quite a rabbit hole, uh, but fortunately, what or what I tried to and what we tried to show was that it goes down a believable rabbit hole. It's not something that's totally fantastic or out of out of this world. It's something where, oh my God, yeah, if that if someone was motivated enough, they could pull that off. And that's that's where your the paranoia should be. Mm-hmm. So I'm uh, that's great. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm really glad that it it worked on that level for you. Yeah, I mean, same thing happened to me last night. I watched an episode of a uh, Black Mirror, and I had to turn it off and think it through. <laughs> I love that stuff. You, you you're making the audience uh, look at the bigger picture. That is, you know, I guess the shadows in the mind. You know, it's it's the hiding right among us. That's exactly what the title is. Yeah, it's it's the it's the shadows that are in most people's minds, but fortunately, most of us don't act on them. But there are people that will, and it it does connect to that. Hopefully, that's uh, that's exactly what the title is. It's it's a it's a dark film. It's you know it's uh, it takes on some big things, and I'm I'm hoping one thing I'm hoping about is that it's it's really topical in that in 15 or 20 years, we can look back and go, oh, goodness, thank goodness that doesn't go on or we've solved that. That's what I'm hoping. Right, yeah. I'm hoping it'll of its time uh, as a specific topical time capsule to now is kind of what I, what I would hope for. Yeah, I mean, if we solve those problems, there's just going to be another level, <laughs> you know, because uh, <laughs> there's always uh, rich, powerful and you could even say evil uh, people in the world who exploit others. Um, but can we get back to the cinematographer? Because uh, the, sure. the look of the film uh, really caught my attention. Um, tell me about those conversations on, on how you wanted, because there's a real mood to it, a real tone that goes throughout the whole film. Sure. No, I'm happy to do that. Dante, uh, we met with Dante, uh, uh, me and one of the co-producers went down to LA to meet with him. And I don't know what I was expecting, but I wasn't expecting someone who was so on top of things there. I mean, I've known cinematographers in the Bay area, you know, San Francisco Bay area. Mm-hmm. There's a complete, and I, for all your listeners, I'm telling you, there's a huge difference between a Bay area cinematographer and a Hollywood cinematographer. Hmm. Uh, when we met with the Hollywoods and when we met with Dante, he had, he knew this script inside and out. He had color palettes. He had a complete idea of exactly what he wanted to do. And we were blown away. I mean, it was like taking a master class for five hours as he went through exactly what he wanted to do. One of the things he, he saw was, cause I asked him, I said, you know, 
what made you take this this project? Because he shot Dante has shot a lot bigger stuff than this. And he said, I could see the images immediately when I read the script. And he also said, I hadn't read anything like this. So it got my attention. Mm -hmm. And his crew tells me that Dante turns down like 90% of the stuff he gets offered. He's in a fortunate position where he can kind of pick what he wants to a certain extent. And he said, when I can see every shot and make it look good, I, I want to be a part of that. And so what he said was, he said, I really see this as kind of like uh, the basic palette was the night of, if you remember that show on, uh, on HBO, any mm -hmm. uh, series, that was kind of the base palette that he wanted to work from. Nice. And, and he had, we shot on the, uh, the red dragon is what we shot with. And Dante just had, he, you talk about someone with an eye. I mean, it just, uh, in the best way I can describe one of the best conversations is this, the very first day, the very first day of shooting, uh, we're on the set, and of course everybody's excited, and it's, you know, I'm I'm nervous but excited, and nervous, and I've got my shot list. I've, you know, we're all prepared, and I start blocking out the first scene, and Dante just kind of looks and he says, "Yeah, that won't work." <laughs> what? What do you mean that won't work? He said, "Well, let me let me, you know, show you another way," and he kind of gave me some suggestions, and I said, "Wow, that's way better than what I had thought. Let's do that." So we kind of did a lot of that the first day. And the first day of shooting, we were behind. We only got half the setups done. And I was depressed. I was totally depressed mm. after the first night. I'm like, oh, my God, because we had never not made the day. One thing, I, I do a lot of first AD work on independent films sometimes. And I'm like, my God, we didn't even make half the shots. I was really, and not only that, but, you know, I stumbled around. I felt like I didn't know what I was doing. Right. And so I went over to where Dante was staying the next morning. And I said, Dante, man, I, you know, I feel horrible. I mean, that first day just didn't go well. And Dante said, what are you talking about? That went great. Mm. I said, it went great. What do you mean? He says, I, I said, we didn't get half the shots and you know, all my setups and blocking was, was horrible. He said, Oh man, no, 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 dude, you're, you've got it all wrong. He said, first of all, it's a brand new location. It's the first day. You're never going to hit all your shots. You're never, never going to do it. He said, so we're right on time. We're going to make those up today. He said, two, and this is what was really critical to me and what started me to completely think on a different level. He said, Mark, all of your blocking and setups were absolutely fine for an independent filmmaker. He said, but I don't make independent films. I make movies. Mm. And I want you to start thinking bigger. He says, you've got a lot bigger toys now than you've ever worked with before. You've got a lot more. You've got a full crew. You've got experience. I'm just showing you that we can do more. He said, but remember, Mark, I'll do it any way you want. I'm just here to suggest. Mm -hmm. He said, and I'm not doing anything more than I've done on $10 million films, $15 million films. He said, so don't think that you don't know what you're doing. You, you direct fine. He said, I'm just suggesting ways that I hope can make it better. Mm -hmm. And after that, I was able to relax and I got all sorts of confidence back, and then everything was fine. Then I started thinking bigger. I started thinking bigger compositions and working with, with Dante. By the end of the shoot, uh, he wasn't correcting me nearly as much. <laughs> and, uh, and we were just, it just really became, we just really got in sync. And so he really, he really taught me so much that there is a difference between just being an independent filmmaker and starting to take that next level to where you can make movies at a sellable level and at, you know, a Los Angeles base level. 
And it was exhilarating because, you know, we had done five feature films before we did this one, all for no money, mm -hmm. of course, you know, two, three thousand dollars. And that's a whole different way to make a movie at that point. I, you know, you, you design your shot list and your coverage around that. And it's a it's just different. It's not worse, per se. It's just very, very different. And I just started seeing filmmaking and directing from a much more expansive eye. As Dante said, he said, you've done an amazing job making films for two and $3,000. He said, they're fantastic. But let's go to that next level. Mm -hmm. Let's start thinking bigger and more complex. And to get a film that looks like Shadows in Mind takes time. <laughs> um, and that was another thing. I mean, we're used to shooting, you know, eight-hour days for Diamond in the Rough films, we'd shoot for eight hours and we have, you know, a DSLR and, you know, a couple of fill lights and that's that. Mm -hmm. Well now, you know, just, just unloading the equipment takes two hours, let alone setting it up. Right. Uh, just that. And those are things that, and I, even though I've been a crew person on big shoots, I'm not responsible for them. I just show up and do my job. Mm -hmm. Well, when you're the producer of the film and you're responsible for everything, you know, from the budget to the shots to the script to the rewrites and all that you start to see man this takes time to really do it right and that was the other big lesson that i would that i learned as an indie filmmaker going from you know making films guerrilla style with nothing to really setting up shots with a lot of lights uh it, it takes a lot of time uh definitely takes time and uh, luckily i had the perfect guy in Dante uh, and his crew. Mm -hmm. it, it sounds like you've learned so much making this film and take, oh, yeah. taking your craft to another level. Um, is it all up from here? Are, are you going to think big the whole time? Or are you going to dip back down to the, uh, the little ones? That's a great question. Actually, we, we did have that discussion. Uh, after we finished rap, rapping on Shadows in Mind, and we, we shot Shadows in Mind in in 11 days uh which That's is impressive I, i'm telling i'm gonna tell your audience it's not enough time don't do wow. that uh not unless you want to really be exhausted uh i mean yes that's great i mean pat ourselves in the back but it's really really hard to to shoot a feature film that quickly uh but which is funny because to us that was a ton of time we've usually shot in like six seven days oh we've got 11 tons of time right. no it's not it's really not <laughs> not when you're trying to make something really professional. Uh, but we all admitted that, yeah, we can't really go back to that. This was such a, an incredible experience. It was so changing for us that, no, we really, we can't go back to the $3,000 thing ever again. Right. No. Nah. But you, you still have all those tools in your, in your toolbox if you need to reach in there and get down and dirty from time to time. So sounds like you got the best of both worlds. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the great thing about shooting a, a feature film that is actually, you know, watchable and film festival level for $3,000 is what we always pride ourselves on is we, we've always finished a film. First of all, we've never not finished something that we started. And two, we, we're very, very organized. We're, we're very organized. We're, we plan everything quite well. Uh, and we can do a lot of things. We can wear a lot of hats mm -hmm. if we need to. Uh, and that's where that prepared us to where we could make the maximum use of what we did have. 
and we've also never uh, we've we've always we've never gone into debt making movies. Uh, we've never you know maxed out the credit cards. We never did that. It's always been funds that we've raised ourselves. We've always we've always been able to be totally in control. And when I mean raise funds, I mean like our funds. Like there are sure. it's our money. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of crowdfunding, uh, for a variety of reasons, but, um, one of the things is just, we want to be in control and be able to control our own destiny. And, uh, this, but it, this was still a risk for, for us. I mean, we, we put a lot of things on the line. Uh, I put, you know, savings account on the line to do this, but it really, now that looking at it now, it was an easy choice because I was working with the perfect people. And I was working with a story that I thought would work and I believed in. And you got to want to make the movie. And we all did, luckily. Yeah, you sure did. So you, you mentioned not many people have seen this yet. And that does make me feel special, I will admit. <laughs> but uh, what is the plan for the uh, for are you going the festival routes? You, you're going to hit them hard. You're going to self-distribute. What how do you see it progressing? Right now, and things could certainly change, but right now we have we are entered into two film festivals in Hollywood and two festivals in the Bay Area. Uh, we're currently entered into the uh, Hollywood Real Independent Film Festival sure. and also the uh, First Glance Film Festival in Los Angeles. And then we're also entered into the San Francisco International Film Festival and Frameline Film Festival, which is in San Francisco. So we want to see... What happens with that? Uh, we do have, there is a, a sales agent that has expressed interest in representing the film. And we're kind of negotiating uh, with that person, uh, seeing, you know, it's the first offer we've had. And so we don't know if it's a good offer yet or if it's real average. We don't know. Mm -hmm. So we want to see what comes from that. We also have a number of, we're also fortunate to have a number, we've got some critics, some high-end critics that are excited for the film and they're ready to write about it. It's just a matter of, um, it needs to be playing somewhere. You know, they can't just write about it just to write sure, about it. Yeah. I mean, they got to they get it past their editors. So that's part of what the film festival thing is. That will unlock some really good press for us. Mm -hmm. Uh so that's part of it, but we're still at the very beginning stage of this whole thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't see we we don't really want to self distribute it. We don't want to do that. We'd we'd rather have a sales agent sell it, distribute it, because we just want to prove that hey, we can now make something that makes money, mm -hmm. and you know that we want that to lead to other projects. Well, I'm sure it's going to get into those festivals, and and when it does. Uh, I'll come to one of the ones in LA and, uh, maybe we'll, oh, wow. I'll get to meet you and, uh, see it on the big screen. You will be a VIP. I will make sure you get a ticket. Oh, Absolutely. That would be great. <laughs> uh, I imagine you feel it's the best work you've done up until this point. In certain ways, certainly. Oh yeah. It's definitely the most, uh, cinematic thing I've done. It's definitely the strongest visually, I've ever been associated with. I mean, Dante gets Dante and his crew get you know so much of the credit for that. Uh, but I think it's yeah, yeah, it's the best thing I've I've been a part of. Sure. I mean, would I ever? You asked earlier, you know, would I ever go back to making some three thousand dollar film? No, but uh, I think that 
I think it's very much like you said. This was when we started to craft Shadows of Mind, we said we've got to step our game up. It has to be better than anything we've done before. It has to be better by a lot. Mm -hmm. And so we really kind of rolled the dice. And I mean, this movie is way more expensive than anything we'd ever made before. Much more work. Uh, I mean, we were shooting, most of the time we had to shoot from 4 p.m. to 5 a.m. Wow. And, and if I'm sure some of your listeners know what that's like, uh, that really messes with your sleep schedule. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's very, very difficult. It's, it requires a lot of physical, you gotta be up for it. Uh, and so for us, I think you're right. I think, uh, we might, the next, like, I'll, I'll tell you the next thing that our next goal, whatever project we work on next, we want to make sure we get, we, we've got to get a name in the film somewhere. Um, that's one of the things that is definitely on the, on the horizon. I mean, what this one was, what some of the goals we had for this were, we were going to shoot in, you know, in at least four or five K, um, like a red or an Alexa. That was one thing. That was one of the goals. The other goal was everybody was going to get paid. Uh, so we paid everybody, you know, the crew, the actors, makeup, everything. So everyone was getting paid. That was another thing that was a must. Um, and the other thing was, uh, what was the, there was, those are the two big ones. Uh, oh, and that it would, it would sell like a distributor would buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, not going to sell it on Vimeo or anything like or distributor. No, we were going to have someone that will say, you know, this is absolutely worth purchasing from you. And we're going to put it out there, whether it's, you know, Showtime or theatrical or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, those were the three main goals and we hit two of those. And so, yeah. uh, we're, we're working on the third now. Wow, this is a great interview, Mark. I'm, I'm really enjoying talking to you. Oh, me too. This is there is... anything I haven't touched on that you, you wanted to cover? The other thing I would tell your listeners, I guess, uh, it, it, the thing that I've learned doing this now fairly continuously, even though, yes, I taught high school, yes, I've had other jobs, but I have to be honest in that my mind was always doing this, mm-hmm. uh, doing this, and I would tell them, the most important piece of advice I guess I could say is there are going to be days when you feel lousy and where you feel like you're not getting anywhere or it's impossible. And, you know, just let those days pass and get back up and keep doing it. Because I think Kevin Smith said it. Uh, if you, if you never quit at it, you will get there eventually where you want to be. I think, and I think there's truth in that. Yeah. I really do. Uh, I mean, this is, this is, you know, shadows in mind is a film that me and, my co, you know, my co-executive producer, Mark Balunas, uh, it's, we were sitting there and as they were setting up all the, the red dragon and all the lights and everything, we looked at each other and said, yeah, we, we have come a long way since a Panasonic VHS camcorder. <laughs> and here we are, you know, here we are with a great cast and a great crew that, you know, is doing everything they can for us. Mm-hmm. And uh, how wonderful is that? How fortunate is that? We're very grateful. Well, thanks, Mark. I, I really appreciate you being on the podcast. Uh, you want to tell everybody out there how to get a hold of you on the internet? Absolutely. We, uh, if you go to www.ditrfilms.com, uh, that's where you can learn a lot about uh, what we're up to. Uh, you can also see the trailer to the film uh, is is there. Also, we uh, the other thing I would definitely want to say is we review independent films. Uh, mm-hmm. We provide that service. 
and we've got a couple, a couple of reviewers, not just I, I review them, but I've got a couple other reviewers that, that are excellent writers, and we review your film very thoughtfully, very honestly, very objectively, uh, and we'll give you that feedback for a very, very reasonable price because, uh, as you know, it's very hard to get anybody to look at your film, uh, especially indie films. Sure. So definitely uh, use us for that. We, we can turn around reviews pretty quickly. And, uh, especially if you made something good, uh, you know, you can put it on your marketing campaigns and use the pull quotes as you need them. Fantastic. All right, Mark. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing your film on the big screen here in LA. Uh, but until then, let's keep in touch. And I, I wish you continued success in your filmmaking career. Thank you so much. It was great being on Indie Film Grit and uh, you keep doing what you're doing too, because, uh, it's also very, very very helpful and very useful. Thank you, Tim. Well, that's that. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Indie Film Grit podcast. Feel free to check out our show notes at IndieFilmGrit.com. Follow us on Twitter at IndieFilmGrit and subscribe to us on iTunes. Well, I should really wrap this up, but before I go... Let me ask you something. Do you have the courage, the passion, and the perseverance to make indie films? Do you have enough indie film grit?